Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Coming up on Believe in Soccer, the Shep Messing Daily Cast. No Pulisic, but Chelsea caps the Premier League weekend with a victory at Brighton. What to make of the chaos in France? Five red cards may not be all of the punishment that fits the crime. And one of the most powerful soccer voices in the country, Alexi Lalas, next. It is the second edition of the Believe in Soccer podcast. This is Shep Messing's podcast. My name is Steve Cangelosi. Alexi should be fun. Uh, I'll tell you why. It's a terrific first guest in a moment, but uh, he himself does a podcast titled State of the Union. And you know, my man, he uh, he rarely waffles on his opinions, right? Yeah, listen, uh, for me, Alexi Lalas, everything he did as a player, and he was a pioneer in terms of the U.S. national team, the look, uh, going to Italy, uh, he surpassed it for me as a broadcaster because, much like me, I think, he speaks his mind, he takes on all opinions, he'll duke it out with anybody, and he's always entertaining. And he works hard at it, so we're thrilled to have him on today. Uh, we used to have MLS broadcast meetings. I don't know if you remember those. And there was a league vice president who said there uh, there were two must-see things at halftime of a game, Shep Messing and Alexi Lalas. That's that's no longer true now because there are a lot of good guys working in this league. Uh, I think the television broadcasts just have improved in so many ways across the board. But somebody once told me that in TV terms, Shep Messing was Alexi before Alexi was Alexi. I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> But th there's a big difference in that his career as a commentator has coincided almost completely with the age of social media. His opinions are not popular, and we need to discuss whether he was born with a thick skin or had to develop one. We'll get to that later. Uh, just some quick news of the day. What a buzzkill if you were turning on your English Premier League match uh, a little after 3 p.m. on the East Coast to see that no Christian Pulisic would be uh, in the Chelsea lineup. They won the game anyway, 3-1. to one. I suppose this says something that Frank Lampard now, maybe contrasting to a year ago, recognizes how important he is to the overall scope of this team. And I can't speak to the severity of, uh, of the injury or where he is uh, coming back from it at this point. But they have to protect this guy now. He is a valuable, valuable commodity as they chase big things. Steve, you and I were talking about it before. And, and what a big moment is for Pulisic to get the number 10 shirt playing for Chelsea. And, I, you know, you think back over the history of the sport, how this all evolves and why it is a, a seminal moment for him and other players. It started in the old days where they used to be numbered 1 through 11, right? The goalkeeper 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, if you're playing with four backs. And as you get further up the field, the 9 would be the striker, the 10 would be that central attacking playmaker. And think of the players that took great pride in wearing it. The first two big ones, Pelé and Maradona. And after that, Ronaldinho, Landon Donovan, Wayne Rooney. The, the list goes on and on. So I'm not putting putting a lot into the number, but I'm putting a lot into what this young man has done and how you're right. Lampard, he's a key part of the puzzle. Uh, he's got to protect them. 
And uh, an American did make a headline, I suppose, because Gio Reyna did score. Dortmund won 5 nothing in its German Cup game. He scored on a free kick, which he kept low. more you watch him, you see he's a different kind of player than his father. But every showing now is a revelation that he is a big part of what the United States World Cup hopes will be all about. You have to be excited. I am. And and look, Steve, you know, there were times in the last several years where I was catatonic about the state of the U.S. men's national team. But you look at these three guys in particular, Gio Reyna, Pulisic, Weston McKinney, you got to be excited. And you, you made the comparison. He's not a player like his dad. His dad was a great player. Very different position. Claudio Reyna could play as a right back. He could play in defense. He could play in the midfield. Mm-hmm. But Gio is an attack-minded player. And I, I heard him talking about it a few weeks ago where his dream in terms of position on the U.S. national team, should those three ever play together, and we hope they do, he'd like to be that, that central attack and playmaker. He'd like to play that 10 position and have Pulisic out wide on one side have Weston McKinney out wide on the other. That, that's something to look forward to. It's a short turnaround for everyone in Europe. In England, the 2020-21 Premier League season kicked off 72 hours ago as we have this conversation. And already there is strong sentiment that Jose Mourinho is washed up. Uh, we're hearing words like dinosaur being tossed around after Tottenham's one nothing loss to Everton on Sunday. This is where I wanted to go with you. Now, Mourinho did, did not become a bad coach overnight. That just is not reality. But does there come a point when even the most successful managers in the game make improving players and maybe teaching players less of a priority? They just want good players who are well-established, ready to win now, and I guess it's a roundabout way of asking, can Mourinho win again with anything other than a world-class team? It's a great question, and, and, and I give managers of his ilk more credit than, than the fans who turn quickly against them. He's a big-time manager, and I think he will remain so in the future. I, I spent a lot of time with him maybe five, six years ago at Rutgers when he was over here in the summer with his team. Uh, getting ready to play in Charlie Stilantano's tournament. Mm-hmm. And he was training at Rutgers. And I, and I got to have lunch with him and dinner and speak to him a lot. He is one of the most articulate, thoughtful, knowledgeable guys off camera. He's got a public persona, and he's got, like many people, a private persona, which is very different. He knew more about the American landscape of soccer, MLS. He, he shocked me. So I haven't answered your question No, I don't think he's done. Yes, I think he can do it. I also think he will end up in America. He made no bones about it to me five, six years ago. He said, look, I follow the league. I follow the national team. And whether he ends up here one day with a major league soccer team or with the U.S. national team, those are both in his headlights. He was talking about it five years ago. I still think he's at the top of his game. And I I would welcome him coming here. We must at least spend a moment, Alexi Lalas coming up, but we need to turn attention at least for a bit to what happened at the conclusion of yesterday's game in France. It's an ugly start to the season for Paris Saint-Germain. Two games, two defeats. They haven't scored a goal yet. Kylian Mbappe uh, is unavailable right now. And Sunday's loss to Marseille was just insanity. The, the match was 
littered with fouls. And then in a span of about 60 seconds, this is the game at its worst, right? There are a lot of layers to what happened, but five players are red carded in the process, including allegations of a racist remark made by one of Marseille's players. Uh, I'm going to start with Neymar, who was one of the five red carded and is at the center of all of this. Look, he's considered a top five player in the world. Uh, isn't he supposed to be above this? Wow. Uh, yes, he is. Let me circle back to a, a, a time in history where I, I actually knew him pretty well. Pelé and I had opened a sports representation firm. Uh, we had an office in Sao Paulo, obviously Santos, Pele's club. We spent a lot of time down there with the young players, uh, Diego, uh, Rabinho, before Neymar. But Neymar was there. I met him and got to know him over a couple of months when he was 17. Uh, terrific young man, humble, not arrogant, embracing, polite, respectful. Now, I don't know the Neymar of today. If, in fact, the allegations about racist comments were true, I kind of throw everything out the window. I mean, any player, no matter what level they're at, like Neymar, uh, you know, that's a different aspect to it. So I root for, for Neymar. Obviously, we don't know whether the allegations were true or not. But look, understandable if he, if he loses it over something like that. I won't repeat the racial slur that Neymar is alleging uh, that Alvaro used, but if this is corroborated, and Ligun says it's uh, likely going to have a probe here, uh, disciplinary committee put together, uh, we're looking at a severe punishment for Alvaro Gonzalez. The, the theme of so many of the games throughout the world for years, and in particular this year, is say no to racism. I mean, if it's actually corroborated, it's hard to even speculate what a ban might be in this case. Well, I'll speculate. I'll speculate for what I would want, not what will happen. If you look back historically, Steve, this is not the first time it's happened. John Terry, very famous for it in 2012, playing for Chelsea. Uh, racist remark, uh, ostensibly made. He made the comment. And there were criminal charges brought against him. He was exonerated in court. He got a couple of games banned. And usually the ban for this type of racist comments has been four games, six games, eight games the most. Suarez involved in one of those bans too. For me, if this is proven true, you got to throw the book at him. These are different times. I, I wouldn't be satisfied with anything less than a one-year ban. You can't be half pregnant. If we're going to combat racism, take a stand. Kick them out for a year. One of the other things they're checking is to see if Angel Di Maria might have spit on a player. You know what's funny? I've had this conversation with so many athletes, past and present. You know how many of them, it's almost unanimous, will say, I would rather be punched hard in the face than, than be spit on. Uh, has that resonated with you, your teammates in the past, or not? I, I'll give you a story again. So, yes. And, and, and look, I'm not going to dissect it culturally, but culturally, players from different countries have different ways of getting angry. I was playing in a game, indoor soccer, major indoor soccer league, New York Arrows against the Buffalo Stallions. Up in Buffalo at the Odd, where the hockey team played, and at halftime, right before halftime, I got into 
a, a, a joying session, face-to-face -face with a, a player, Stankovic, on Buffalo. And we're three inches apart. Halftime is just about to come. And all of a sudden, he headbutts me, splits my lower lip open. I go into the locker room, take 60 stitches in the lower lip. Uh, we fought in the hall. And then we come back on the field for the second half. The game ends, and you leave the field in one tunnel, not two. They should have the team separated. Instead, we come exit the field one tunnel, and there's an all-out brawl. New York Arrows on top of, of the Buffalo players' fist. Finally, we, we get to the bottom of the pile. The fight's over. We, we pull everybody off, and it's two of my own teammates that are fighting with each other. Renato Chilla and Franz St. Lot. So, you know, I can laugh about it, but, but yeah, spitting, headbutting, uh, I'd rather be punched. So let's move along. First ever guest on the Shep Messing Daily Podcast. You know him from Fox Sports, the State of the Union podcast, one of the most famous faces of American soccer all time. Alexi Lawless, how are you doing in this age of COVID? Oh, look, I'm, I'm a whole lot better than a lot of people out there. And I, I try to keep some perspective. Uh, we were just talking a little bit off air about how I'm, I'm here out. I'm here in Los Angeles with my family. I have, I have kids that are uh, knee deep in the Zoom uh, education culture that we have right now. And uh, it sucks any way you slice it. I wish I could uh, tell them something different or give them, you know, impart some sort of knowledge or uh, experience that I went through uh, that's like it and and I haven't but you know what uh, we're all going through it together and we're all figuring it out and as I said there's a whole lot of people out there that uh, have it a whole lot worse than, uh, than myself and my family so we will muddle through together but congratulations by the way on the show and thank you so much for having me I hope it's not scorched earth by the time this is done and nobody else will come on but uh, uh, welcome welcome to the wonderful world of podcasting uh, hey alexi if i could wave a wand which i did uh you're the guy we wanted so thanks so oh, much for pleasure. doing it well, let's take you back to a a better time uh both both in the world and in your soccer world you know we're a lot of talk about polisic now and i called him the golden boy like you did uh let's hope for the best for him but take us back to that 1994 world cup when you're at the top of your game and you make the move to italy how was it for you in terms of getting the respect getting acclimated the culture the teammates and the coaches yeah so you know when I you know when I, after the World Cup in which my life completely changed and I've said many times I lived the power of what a World Cup can do it can do to an individual and look on the on the on the shoulder of, of giants including yourself and so many others that came before and I, I don't want to speak for you but I've always felt that when I was done running and even when I'm done with this game, whenever it may be, and hopefully it's a long time from now, hopefully I will have left it better than when I, when I started out. And I benefited from your generation and previous generations. And certainly someone like Christian Pulisic has benefited from our generations and further generations that have, uh, that have come and kind of set the groundwork. And it's, it, it's amazing to look back. I had the, the unique benefit of coming off of a world cup and that immediately gives you credibility and cachet. Only lasts so long, but doors opened up that otherwise would not have been opened for an American soccer player in 1994. And uh, the ability to go to, and the opportunity uh, and the privilege to be able to go to Italy, especially at that time where it was 
everything, all the money, all the players, all the prestige. It's changed a lot. That migration that happened to uh, the EPL, this was before the opening of the European community and the Bosman ruling and all that kind of stuff. It was everything. It, it, it changed me as a soccer player, but it also changed me as a person go, living in that fishbowl that is Calcio and Serie A and all that kind of stuff. And for someone like me, Sometimes people forget that when guys like myself and Kobe Jones stepped on the field in 1994, we had never been on the books of a club. So we did it really backwards in the normal way where you do really well in a club situation and then you kind of uh, use that to propel yourself onto the national team. And so this was my first time ever being in a day-to-day club environment representing a, a community and a, uh, a city that was Padova, which was a small city up in northern Italy. So it was it was great, Shep. I, I had a blast doing it. I don't regret it, any of it. Uh, I made plenty of mistakes along the way. The only advice that I give to kids now when they, when they ask me is that if you're going to a place that doesn't speak English, learn the language as best as you can, as quickly as you can, because first off, out of necessity, and second off, I think it, it endears you uh, and it helps you and it gives you a benefit of the doubt. And believe me, because you're going to get thrown right into that fishbowl and you're going to ask to ask to perform and all the other 22 and a half hours of the day that you need to be able to deal with stuff and to be able to adapt and adopt. Um, the language is going to help. And so I hope, you know, someone like Weston McKinney in, in Italy right now, I hope that he is learning that language. Uh, he'll, the soccer part of it, either it's going to come or it's not, but you can help yourself a lot when you uh, learn that language. Obviously, Christian in, in uh, England isn't going to have to worry about that, but he's, he's doing a great job. And it, it, it warms the cockles of my redheaded heart to see so many young <laughs> players that are doing so well all over the world and obviously domestically here. I forgot all about it. That was crazy that you guys really didn't come from a club experience. Yeah, you and yeah. Kobe and the rest. That that's backwards. You went now, to be to be fair, to we were to be fair, we were in residency program for two years leading up, which is why you look at my generation. We have so many caps uh, international appearances. It's because for two years we were in Southern California just basically playing international games. It was for blackout dates and all that kind of stuff. But it, it was what we needed to do. And, and it was not because we wanted to do it. It's just because we had to do it. And so many of the players Bora knew weren't going to be given opportunities over in Europe. Well, it, people ask me, Alexi, all the time, can I compare the heyday back when I played with, with players like Pelé and Johan Cruyff and Beckenbauer in the height of the NASL? How do I compare it with the level of play in MLS today? And I have a hard time doing that. Maybe you were a youngster, young kid watching those games. Maybe not. But how do you compare that? Uh, I mean, look, I think the, it, it's interesting because the makeup of the NASL, um, ultimately where it kind of left, and you can certainly speak to this better than I can, but uh, the way that I always saw it was that the American player, the domestic player, was the exception to the rule. Um, and in a, in a strange way, MLS started out uh, trying to be the opposite of that and really you know, a, a league of our own and a place for domestic talent to bring uh, their abilities and to, get, and to get better. MLS, I think, has gone away from that a little bit and it's almost become what the NASL was. Now, it's a very, very different proposition as, as, you, uh, as you would agree uh, and, and know when we're looking at you know, a league that's been around 25 years that is not arguably, that is the best American professional league uh, in terms of sustaining, in terms of growth, certainly in terms of potential and what it has been able to do, the infrastructure, the stadiums, the ownership, it's, it's just a whole nother, it's a whole nother level. But 
I think the NASL did a couple of things. One, it did show at times that there is talent, uh, and if that talent is given an opportunity, it can perform. Uh, it also showed that the business of soccer can work. Um, it also showed that the uh, America, in this case, we're dealing with North America from MLS perspective, but um, it is a destination that people uh, want to go. But mm -hmm. it is interesting uh, when I look at it, how much, how much it has changed, and maybe how much hasn't changed when it, when uh, when it comes to what we're uh, what we're doing. But all in all, look, we're we're a whole lot further along than than we ever are. And I know we love to kick ourselves for what we aren't as an American soccer playing nation and just as an American soccer community. But sometimes we also have to step back and pat ourselves on the back for how far we've come in a relatively short period of time when you put us up against most places around the world. I'm not sure this is what you signed up for, but with your role at Fox, let's face it, you are one of the faces of Major League Soccer. And you also take an approach where your opinions are always not the most popular. I, I, I'll give you a case in point. I'm watching sure. you probably two, three years ago when Columbus was rumored to be uh, moving to Austin, okay? Sure. And I'm watching you. Uh, you're doing your spot at halftime. Uh, and I think you were with JP Della Camera that night and you were advocating for a USL team for Columbus. And I looked at my wife and I said, he's going to get it now. I, I, and uh, now you, there's a parallel with you and Shep because his opinions are not the most popular either. But your career has come almost exclusively in the age of social media. Did you develop a thick skin or have you always had one? Oh, I've always had one. Um, I think you have to be if you are, well, a soccer player, uh, if you're an American soccer player, if you are a redheaded American soccer player, I mean, like it goes, it goes on and we all have our, uh, our issues and challenges and, you know, we can work them out with our shrinks and all that. But, you know, when, when I think about what I do, uh, I have always considered myself to be in the entertainment business. That's one of the reasons why I love Shep is, is I think he understands that too. Um, and I always, I have always considered myself a performer and the way you look, uh, how you say something is as important as what you say. And I also, uh, I grew up in a family that was constantly challenging my opinions and, and challenging me to back them up uh, mm. and fight for them and, um, and, oh, and provide reasons for whatever opinions that I did have and challenging me to put myself in somebody else's position and somebody else's opinion and try to find a way and something common that you can grab on to, to argue that too. I mean, ultimately that is kind of what debate is <laughs> and debate clubs and all that kind of stuff are, are about. And I also recognize that in, in, in my performance, and by the way, when you say you're an entertainer or performer, sometimes people cringe because they think you don't take it seriously or you're not competitive or you're not telling the truth. And that is, couldn't be further from the truth. I just believe that I'm, I'm getting dressed up, whether it's on the field or whether it's in front of a camera, I'm wearing sure. armor and a uniform and all that. And I'm going in front of the people and I am there to entertain people. And I want that feedback. I didn't care if 100,000 people were cheering for me or cheering against me. It doesn't matter as long as there is a reaction. Um, I, I'm, I, I'll, I'll admit that at times I'm a provocateur, if you will, in that I like to poke people. But it's it's much more out of a, a means to an end from my perspective is that I, I learn. I learn from doing that in terms of the reaction that I have. Uh, maybe my opinion's changed through that, or maybe my opinion is confirmed, even when it's a negative reaction uh, that I get. And look, ultimately, I'm never going to please everybody. And if I'm going to do this and try to do this well, and I still got a long way to go and still make plenty of mistakes... I want to be honest with, with, with the people that are watching, uh, and I want to give my opinion and let the chips fall where they may. 
I had to have you as my first guest. I had to have you because, <laughs> you know, kudos to that. That's how I that's how I roll. I try to. I tell it like I see it. I'm open for debate. I'm open to change my mind. But we're entertainers. We were when we were on the field. Uh, I had the ability to dress in whatever I wanted to dress in once I went with a camouflage outfit because I didn't want to see, let the opposition see me. Uh, I once played in a uniform where I had balloons under my arms sewed down on my shorts. I thought I could you know, present a bigger body. <laughs> but anyway, I'll segue into MLS, Alexi. Uh, I, I've been preaching that New York is the capital of of the soccer world and the soccer country. I think that's slip sliding away. <laughs> I don't see it right now with NYCFC and Red Bull. Is LA the capital of the soccer world and MLS right now? I mean, look, it, it shifts as we go through these years and very, very quickly. And maybe MLS is set up to have that type of shift happen very quickly. So, it, you know, it was Atlanta. Atlanta's going through a period right now. I do think being out here in LA and seeing just what in general from the start the LA Galaxy has done and then how LAFC coming into the territory as the nouveau riche uh, up against the old school uh, old money type of situation it's been wonderful to see and I think that in a strange not a strange way but uh, LAFC has made the galaxy has forced the galaxy to try to be better both on and off the field hasn't always worked you know now they're in a situation right now where they've almost flipped back but just within the season because the galaxy didn't start up uh, it's made it's made living in this city from a soccer perspective uh, be be great because you have two big type of teams with huge egos that believe their you know what doesn't stink uh, and <laughs> they are informed by that and from an LA Galaxy perspective you know, they have this chip on their shoulder in that we were here first and LAFC wants to come in and disrupt these, uh, the, the, you know, these folks. And it's great. It's wonderful. Um, I love the competition. I love the back and forth. I love the banter that goes on. Uh, and I love the fact that it's made Los Angeles great. Uh, I think that can happen in New York, but you have two teams that are doing things in very, very different ways. And look, if you think about 2026 and the World Cup coming, where do you think the final is going to be? Obviously, in 1994 uh, and in 1999 with the Women's World Cup, we had it in Los Angeles. Uh, there, there's, a, there's, you know, there's a business element to it and a time change element to it and all that kind of stuff. I think it's got a really good chance of being in New, in New York. They'll, they'll pay homage to Los Angeles and what Los Angeles was, but even what, everything that I've just talked about and even with the new SoFi Stadium and everything like that, there's a good chance that it's not going to be in Los Angeles. And that's to you know, what New York is and certainly can be from a soccer perspective and the fact that there's places like Atlanta uh, and other places that can kind of come up and become these new soccer places. But, you know, to your point, New York uh, and what they are doing or maybe what they aren't doing. And when I say New York from a Red Bulls perspective, I mean, New Jersey, uh, <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's frustrating. And I'm sure it's frustrating on the ground there for, for you guys, because there seems to be one step up and two steps back or the promise of something that's coming that never comes in terms of stadium with NYCFC or, you know, the, the effort, if you will, and, and, you know, an actual manufacturer type of way of going about of not being big and bold. And look, this is, this is the New York metropolitan area. And you're competing, as you guys know, against so many different opportunities for eyeballs and hearts and minds. And you better find something that cuts through the clutter and, behaving like a small market team or just relying on youth development, 
I'm sorry. First off, it's not sexy. And second off, it just doesn't cut it in a New York market. What story are we not paying enough attention to in American soccer right now? Well, I think we only have so much bandwidth, but, you know, for example, um, the amount of, and this is before pandemic, but, but certainly it still, it still applies. Um, the, the community aspect of what teams can be, and it plays into, I think, the, um, the supporters culture that has come about in a, in a whole generation, very, very different than my generation and previous generations that define themselves uh, and they are informed by the game uh, in the way that they dress, the way that they talk, the way that they view themselves politically, um, the way that they view themselves domestically. They, you know, they, they may think globally, but act locally. Uh, and the, all of these identities that are emerging that are reflections on their communities and their cultures and sometimes their cities and, and states that are manifested through the way that they support soccer teams. And a lot of this is lower division type of, type of soccer. And it, it's, not, it's not really the way we associate minor league baseball with being a bastardized version of the game or, or right. not being as important. There's, there's much more ownership, I think, and importance put on some of these teams that, that at times are very small, but whether it's the supporters group or just the identity that is cultivated from the start, you know, the, the names of the teams and the images and the optics and the, the logos and all that kind of stuff, it, you don't get a chance to be something, to be part of something from the beginning. And through soccer, I think that there is a wonderful way for both the teams and the, and the supporters to come together and be part of something, creating something from the beginning that is their own and that is representative of what, are they, of, of what they want to be and how they want to be viewed that goes beyond actually kicking the ball. And like I said, it's, it's hard because there's, there's thousands of them out there and we only have so much time and bandwidth to be able to talk about it. But it, it is happening and, and, it's, and it's really fun to see when you get a chance to experience it firsthand. Your best moment as a player and your best moment as a broadcaster? My best moment as a player. Um, I mean, look, there's a couple of things. I, I mentioned how uh, you, you don't get an opportunity often in life to be there from the start. You know, I'll never forget the moment that the whistle blew in Major League Soccer. And I was playing with the New England Revolution at the time. It was the, obviously our first game ever. And it was to start this, this adventure and this venture that, that everyone was on. We were down in Tampa. And in that split second before you actually started to play the game, it, it, was, it was incredibly powerful. Now, we didn't know that it was still going to be around 25 years later. We, we, had, we were cautiously optimistic. But as you know, our, our past is littered with teams and leagues that are defunct and, and, and folded. So it is a Wild West type of existence when it comes to American soccer. So... I, I remain incredibly proud of being there from the start uh, and being able to say that I was there uh, from the start. That was really, really cool. Obviously, the World Cup, you know, changed my life forever, as I talked about. So from a playing perspective, you know, you certainly look at the summer of 94. But in, in that moment, I'll never forget that whistle blowing and just thinking to myself, wow, hmm. long after I'm gone and, and dead and buried uh, many, many years from now, uh, I will have been able to say that I started. Uh, at the very beginning of MLS. And that was, that was kind of cool. Um, off, the, off the field and in the broadcast booth, look, I, I told you before, I, I make plenty of mistakes uh, along the way. Um, you know, to be able to 
continue to be making a living in this game without even kicking a ball and to be able to travel around and go to different things and, you know, to, to one time be uh, in, uh, you know, Rio de Janeiro on the Copacabana broadcasting with ESPN mm. or being at the Kremlin with Fox uh, or being, you know, in France last summer for the Women's World Cup. You know, all of those things are, are, are still for me, even having done a long time, still pinch me types uh, of moments. I, I, I love it. You know, as I said before, and Shep, you, you, you know this too, um, in our industry, uh, you, you guys all know this. I mean, we come across people that are just biding their time and kind of using the broadcasting as a, as a way station until something better comes along. And that's understandable. I get it. And it could be a, a coaching job or a front office job or just something that they want to do more than actually talking about soccer on, on television. And you can get away with that a little bit, but ultimately it will manifest itself in your performance. And I believe you're cheating yourself and your viewer. And so I never take it for granted. I, I, I pinch myself all the time. And as this next generation comes along, they can pry it from my cold dead hands. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to it as long as I possibly can. And I'm I'm joking there a little bit because I love the fact that there are y- younger players that that are coming to the end of their contracts or even just finishing out their careers whenever that are looking to this as a possibility. But as you guys both know, it's a lot harder than it looks. Um, it's a lot of work, and it's very different when you are ultimately there day in and day out. And either you're into it or you're not. And I want to be surrounded by junkies, guys like you that are totally into it, that love what they're doing, that make me better. Uh, when I'm working with you or, or anybody else that challenge me. And so, I mean, that's, that's a long way of saying, I, I don't necessarily have a, a single moment. All of those things are wonderful. But as I said, I never take for granted the fact that I am able to do this because I know there's so many men and women out there that would trade positions with me in a second and kill or die to be in the, in the position that I have. And so I continue to work uh, like that and make sure that each and every time that red light goes on, that I'm not necessarily saying something that you agree with, but I'm saying something that is of interest and, and piques your interest. And maybe you're screaming and yelling and throwing stuff uh, at me, but you're not, you're not clicking the channel. And I'm trying to make you think. I'm trying to say something that's both interesting and entertaining at the same time. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. But I love the fact that they, uh, and I'm really privileged uh, and lucky uh, at the fact that they, are able, uh, that they are letting me do this. I'm going to answer the last one for you as we let you go, okay? And tell me if you remember this. It was the send-off for the U.S. national team prior yeah. to the 2014 World Cup. Yeah. You and your ESPN colleagues at the time, you did the whole show from Times Square. And you're the guy that's put on the spot. And correct me if I'm wrong. The United States is in a difficult group, obviously. It was Ghana, it was Portugal, and Germany. And you, I believe, were the only panelists that said they're not getting out of the group. And Shep, there are about 100,000 people in Times Square, and he knows what he's setting him up for. And I'm at the side of the stage actually saying to myself, you know something? Good for him. He's the I, only one who's I, got the guts to I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. There's still players that come up to me that played on that team. I yeah. should be getting paid, by the way, by the United States <laughs> yeah. Soccer Federation for the motivational support that I am getting. Because, you know, I said that about the, uh, the team, and they obviously went on and got out of the, right. the group. I said it about um, uh, the U.S. women's national team. I thought they were going to lose to France in that semifinal that was leading all the way. And I remember t- telling Carly Lloyd before the tournament, uh, I was doing an appearance with her and she asked me about it. I said, this is what's going to happen. You're going to lose. And you know, the look of, of fire. I mean, I, I love her and, and she's wonderful, but I, I, I definitely think that, that, and maybe this is just my incredible uh, arrogance that I have that 
that I am providing that motivation for national teams going <laughs> forward. If nothing else, they just want to prove me wrong whenever I make a, a bold statement like that. But that's what you got to I tell I, I, you know, I tell folks all the time, you can't be afraid of being wrong. And here's the deal. People will only remember the times that you were wrong. They won't remember the overwhelming majority of times when you were right, because let's be honest, that's not as interesting. Hey, uh, Chip, uh, I'll let you say goodbye. Uh, I love it. I love it, Alexi. I can't tell you uh, how thankful we are to have you on. And you're, you're my guy. Thanks so much for doing this. Well, I just want to say, uh, first off, c- uh, congratulations and best of luck with the, uh, with the podcast and everything that you're doing. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, and thank you, Chef, for everything uh, that you are doing, and Stephen, and everybody out there. You know, I, I know you know, a lot of times uh, those of us that, uh, that kick the ball get a lot of credit for, for stuff that's, uh, mm. that's happening. And, you know, from a, from a, a generational type of perspective, uh, as I said before, I just hope that we leave it better. And I think that we are. And I know that you are leaving it better and you certainly made it better for me. I hope that I did and have left it better for others and made it easier for, uh, for others. But the, all, the, the fact is that whether you kick the ball or not, we're all part of this soccer community. And, uh, you know, whether it's simple, something as simple as a podcast and talking about the game that we all know and love w- with two great people that have ha- such a wealth of knowledge uh, or anything else that anybody else is doing out there with regards to soccer. It is a soccer community. We're not always going to agree. That's just the way that that's the way that it is. But it is La Cosa Nostra. It's our thing. Works and all. There you go. Take care, Alexi, okay? Thanks, guys. That's Alexi Lalas. Tomorrow, we'll take a deep dive into Major League Soccer, midweek action, and much more. The season flying now, and the games are coming fast and furious. Thanks for listening to Episode 2 of Believe in Soccer, the Shet Messing Daily Cast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.